Hello and welcome to CigarCast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Mission Cigar and Social here in Spring Hill, Tennessee. I am one of your hosts, Trey Devin. I'm joined, as I am every week, by a man whose version of hell is the same as my version of vacation, Mr. Shane Reeves. Yes, being surrounded by people crowded in, forced to watch Broadway musicals, though though I probably like Broadway musicals better than most people would think I would. Y- you probably would. It's But, so the entire weekend was Broadway musical themed. So we were there for my aunt's 70th birthday party, and so the, the birthday party and the activities leading up to it all had a, a big focus on, um, on musical theater, and, and Thursday night we actually went to a non-musical play. Uh, which was my first time ever seeing a a theater production that was not a musical, uh, which was a, a it was a a fun sort of change for us. I, I had a blast. I don't know. I've I have no desire to visit New York. It's like Israel, and it's <laughs> like anything in the Middle East and California. I have no desire to visit any of these locations. It's funny. Like it's a beautiful city. It, it really is. Now, if you're if, if you hold a bucolic sense of beauty, natural beauty, rolling hills and pasture land, which I do, then you won't necessarily see the beauty in New York. But the, the people, the architecture, the ebb and flow, it's just, I, I absolutely love it. And I would go once a year. Senator, I know people that like it. I don't know people that like Boston. But every time somebody describes to me what they like about Boston or New York, either one, I say, yeah, I'm out. Well, and the thing is, New York isn't as dangerous. I mean, if you live somewhere like here, it feels dangerous just because there's always people around you and, and it, you know, but it feels so safe. Well, it's, you're playing the odds. There's so yeah. many people. What's the chance you're the one that's going to get picked? Yeah. I mean, and that's really what it, I mean, you play it safe. You do that. But that's the other thing. You're always in a crowd. You know, unless you're doing something kind of stupid, you're always in enough of a crowd and everything's very well lit. Yeah, see, always in a crowd, I'm out. Which you would think, which is funny, for the golden retriever and uh, and the chronic I introvert. I don't like the in, in, I don't, you're never more isolated than when you're in a crowd. Yeah, there, there's something to be said for that. Um, although we did, I do want to give a shout out to a couple of potential new listeners. So on Thursday after the play, my wife and I went up to Casa de Monte Cristo there in kind of Times Square-ish area and um, sat down with a couple of guys and talked cigars all night long, um, told them about the podcast, um, had an absolute blast. And it's, it's what we always say. If you, if you smoke cigars, you've got a friend in every city. Oh, yeah. Love it. Always. Greatway, do you remember their names? I, I didn't catch their names. Um, it was very loud, and I just I couldn't, uh, I, I couldn't grasp it. So, this week, the Perdomo 30ths have finally arrived. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say anything more than that till after we smoke it. Okay. It, I, I take it then that this is not your first cigar. No, I've had the Sun Grown, okay, and I've had I've the got. Maduro. And I went ahead and grabbed the Connecticut tonight to just finish out the trilogy. All right. And try all three of them. And I don't want to color your opinion one way or the other. And I also think my opinion probably is a little jaded from some other circumstances that we'll talk about. All right. After after we move through the initial lighting phase. All right. But I'm smoking the Connecticut. It's a Bernomo. It's everything's Nicaraguan. Um, I don't like 
the quasi box press that these are. It's kind of a, you know, we talked before about how the box presses have been getting less and less sharp. This just barely qualifies as a box on this Connecticut that I have. Now, that one, that sun-grown you have, probably has a little more box shape to it. A little bit. It reminds me a lot of the Oliva Master Blend, where it's just enough that it's not round. But, yeah, if I don't even know. it. it yeah, it's... It's almost like a poorly packaged round cigar, more than it is a box press. You know, the the original box press basically being that they would take on the shape of the box they were packed in because they were packed so tight. That's kind of the impression I get from this. Um, but yeah, I am smoking the, the Sun Grown just because when it comes to Perdomo, I'm going to grab a Sun Grown every time, unless I'm just feeling the need to, to branch out. But I've been looking forward to this cigar since since it was announced, so I'll, I'll be interested to see uh, the, the clarifying uh, statements you have to make later on in the show. So, in life, I play little games to keep myself amused. Mm-hmm. One of the things, whenever I light a Connecticut cigar, my, especially with a jet, my goal is not to singe any of the tobacco. Right. Other than exactly what I like, because it's no more evident than when it's on a Connecticut. Yeah, because you'll see that char. And, and so I've succeeded that. The other little game I play when I'm dealing poker, my goal is to throw the card I'm throwing underneath the card already laying on the table. Mm. So if I'm dealing to six people, I deal everybody one card, and then I try to throw every card underneath the other cards on that table. I, I always aim for the chip stack of the blinds, too, or the dealer button. That was always trying to slide it up under that was always... Trying to wedge it up under yeah. there. Yeah, it's, it's funny how that how, how you play little games with, your, with yourself in life. Oh, yeah. I, I still, like, walking through the airport yesterday, you know, trying to match your stride up to the pattern in the carpet and those, just those little things. I think that makes me autistic, but <laughs> just those little games you play to keep yourself entertained. I, I don't think, I think you're, um, you were born too late to be autistic. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm right in there. And also moving forward, cigar partially smoked by Celtics coach Red Arbach goes up for auction. This is from CBS News Boston. Happens to be this article. Okay. Who's buying these? Yeah, see, I feel like we've seen a lot more of these types of articles lately. I don't know if someone's just going through their estate boxes now trying to find this kind of stuff. A, I didn't see it listed in the article. Um... Well, because there's not really much of an article there. Um, but it doesn't say how they authenticated it or anything like that. Right. It don't. It, I mean, it looks like it, he quit smoking it because it's falling apart anyway. And um, the auction ends on Saturday, currently going for $200. I Would, mean, I understood it when it was Churchill. Yeah. But Red Auerbach? But Red Auerbach, now granted, he is a famous cigar smoker. Yeah. But... His was almost a taunting thing. It wasn't a Churchill where it's just a fixture or a Schwarzenegger right. or a Stallone or something like that. But I'm just pretty sure I don't want to hang out with the guy who wants to collect cigars that someone else has smoked, somebody famous has smoked. I mean, who does that impress? Yeah, I don't. I, if, if, if you invite me over to your house to smoke a cigar 
And but first, I have to go past your wall of fame where you show me. Well, this is Churchill's half-smoked cigar. This is Red Auerbach's half-smoked cigar. This is Bill Clinton's half-smoked cigar. I don't care. You're gonna take a whiff of that one, ain't you? Yeah, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Hopefully, that one's behind glass. But yeah, you wonder about the the guys that that's. I mean, now, you know, two hundred bucks, okay. You might take a chance on it, but yeah, I want to see some some art, the certificate of authenticities. I want to see a picture of him with it in his mouth. I want to see something that matters. So, from Cigar Journal, Placencia Cigars shipping Alma Fuerte Colorado Claro Robusto Number Two. So this is the exact same blend as the Sixto Two, because they do an Alma Fuerte Sixto and they do the Colorado Claro Sixto. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I do like the cigar. My biggest complaint is it's a 6 by 60 I think, you know, I love, I love the hexagon shape. I think that's so cool. It's such a great idea. But it's, it's so big that it's, it's not comfortable or enjoyable for me to smoke. So I like the idea of, of bringing that to a, a, a different Vitola. But... Let's bring the price down. Yeah. If you're going from a 660 to a Robusto, you can't ask me for the same money. Yeah, it's a five and a five and an eighth by fifty-five. At twenty-one and fifty a cigar. Yeah, that's just I th- that's too much for a Robusto. You know, I came in here today because we're doing some setting up for the New Year's party here and gonna do some exciting things here on New Year's Eve for the party. And El Septimo wants to be a part of that. They want to get their presence. They're willing to do the work. The guy that sells El Septimo, he's not really the El Septimo rep, but he works for the brokerage that right. sells us El Septimo. It's fun. That's a funny gig because he says it's the only gig in the world you get fired from for being too successful. Really? Well, he said, you know, once you get a cigar in an area and get it up and running and get it going good, then they hire a rep to take over that area now that the market you've established. Right. He said, it's the only job in the world that you get fired for, for doing too good. well. Yeah. <laughs> and all. But anyway, um, and he handed me a, um, it was an El Septimo. I think it was a Julius Caesar or an Alexander the Great, one of their emperor series. And it was a Perfecto. And I said, oh, this is a Perfecto. I had never had one of these in a Perfecto. He said, well, we've got them. They're in your humidor. I said, well, aren't they a different size in the humidor? He said, no, they only come in that size. I said, how much are they? He said, $24. I said, well, that's why. I've, yeah. I would never buy a $24 Perfecto cigar. Right. <laughs> and uh, I mean, it was a good cigar, but it wasn't worth $24. Cert- certainly not at that size. I mean... And, and I realize Toro is quickly becoming the most popular cigar size, but it is interesting how that will color my, my willingness to pay for a cigar. You know, even, you know, $21 for a Robusto versus 24 for a Toro or, or so, even if it's a pretty wide gap, I'd still rather have the Toro even, even with that price point. So we're a little bit into our 30th. Let's now we can talk about the thirtieth. What do you think? Well, we, well, I'll let you get a draw and let you really contemplate it, figure it out. So I'll tell you. So I've smoked the Maduro. I've smoked the Sun Grown. I'm smoking the Connecticut right now. I definitely like the Connecticut better than any of the others that I've okay. smoked, which is really rare for me. Yeah. 
but none of them to me are as good as the 12th. The 12th is perfectly serviceable. Take the label off of this, and you put. If you took the label off a twentieth, a twelfth, and a thirtieth, and laid them all in a row, and asked me to take a puff off of each one and tell you which one's which, my chances of success are almost zero. Yeah, I don't think I could do that either. I, I'm actually, I am really enjoying this, but to your point, compared to the twentieth, which is what I smoke most of the time, anyway. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not noticing a tremendous amount of difference. Um, if anything, it's got a little bit of a of a construction foible here. I'm I'm drawing straight through it. Well, they're brand new. Yeah, just came in like three days ago, so we have been kind of working through some yeah some construction. I grabbed one. The Maduro I grabbed on Saturday was really wet. Yeah, this I've just got a little bit of stove piping. Like there was just a dead spot, uh, which I will smoke through. Um, it's a little tighter than I would have expected for a Perdomo. Not so, not not bad. Uh, I'm I'm happy with the draw, but it's a little tighter than I'm used to for a Perdomo, especially a box press. But no, I'm I'm liking it so far. Okay, it's what fourteen? Yeah, fourteen. Yeah. Here's my problem with Perdomo. Their requirements to have their cigars in your humidor are unreasonable. So to have Perdomo in your humidor, you have to have four sizes of each facing of a cigar. Right. So we've got four facings of Habano, four facings of 12-year-old Maduro, four facings of 12. And then in order to get the 30th, we had to have four, you know, we had to order four facings of the 30th in the Connecticut, the Sun Grown, and the Maduro. Yeah. They just dominate. The real estate in the humidor. Yeah, it makes it untenable. There are, you know, because we've talked about this as it applies to cigar shops. You know, the most cigar shop owners in a geographical region tend to be pretty friendly because you're not in con- competition with one another. You know, by and large, like, right. you can all get along because there's enough to go around. And it's, it's the same reason that reps are all really good friends because they travel the same beats and they know... There's room for your cigars, there's room for my cigars. But Perdomo kind of muscles in a little bit too hard in in taking up, especially the humidor here is pretty good size. It's bigger than most, um, or at least on the high side of average. Well, it's 8 by 24. Yeah, and when you give up as much real estate as you have to to bring Perdomo in, it affects your ability to carry other stuff. Yeah, that's my that's my complaint is how much stuff we have to carry to carry the twelfth and the thirtieth, and I think I think this thirtieth is going to be a lesson because basically this thirtieth is just going to predate on itself. Yeah, that the Perdomos and all now Nick and them don't get me wrong, it's a great cigar and mm. they're a great company, but that particular practice of theirs makes it hard. For me to really, you know, really dig. If they would just say, hey, we're here to sell cigars. You're here to buy cigars. Yeah. No, you don't have to carry, you know, okay, you don't sell Robustos. Well, then don't carry Robustos. Or you don't sell, you know, whatever you don't sell, you don't have to carry. The Habano, we don't sell many Habanos. But we got to keep the Habanos in there because it's a Habano or the Lot 23 to keep our allocation to be able to get 12-year-old and 30-year-old. Yeah. And that's, I really... You know, I really don't love that because it's, 
I shouldn't have to carry your 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 bad stuff to get your good stuff. And that's not just a Perdomo thing. And, and the thing is, I like the Lot 23. I like the Habanos. But I shouldn't have to carry that. Now, if, if this is a special limited run, like let's compare the 30th to like an Opus where it's just going to be, okay, I get it. You, you, you attach some strings. But don't attach strings on everything. Well, here's my argument. If... You actually damage yourself at some point because all you're doing is giving the Perdomo guys more choices of which Perdomos to smoke. Right. Your guys that are Perdomo guys are going to smoke a Perdomo. If they don't have a 12-year in there, they're going to smoke a 20-year. If they don't have a 20-year in there, they'll smoke a champagne. If they don't, they're just going to smoke Perdomo. Right. So they don't need a third of the humidor to be Perdomo to satisfy our Perdomo customers. Right. Do you think they're thinking the Lot 23 guy is going to see the 30th in there and go, oh, I should have that one in- instead today? I don't think that's happening. Oh, no, he will. But the Drew Estate factor, the Drew Estate um, underground guy is not going to say, oh, the 30th's here. I'll have that today. Yeah, that's... I mean, if you're not already buying a Perdomo, you're probably not buying this cigar. No, probably not. Um, you know, but it's, it obviously must be working for them. It does, and I, I'm all for great capitalism. Nick and them, and Nick is a very nice guy. They do a great job, so I'm, I'm kind of all for it. Part of, a, me, part of me wonders, and now you guys here do a bit more than, than most people in terms of inventory management and making sure every cigar you know, pays its bills in the mm-hmm. humidor. Something like the Habano in the Lot 23 that isn't, isn't going to make you as much money, isn't going to turn over as fast, and, and maybe you don't want it to turn over as fast. Do you buy the four boxes in the four sizes of the low-end stuff and just sat, satisfy the satisfy the requirement? We brought them in. Yes. And then just stick them in But we don't the get to pick where to put them in the humidor. Oh, is that part of the arrangement, too? I knew they do a lot of inventory management, but did they actually... They pick how they set up in the humidor. They pick where they set up in the humidor. They pick their rep. Now, to their credit, their rep, great guy. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, World of Rob, I think he's a great guy. And he doesn't come in here and point and say, oh, these need to be here, and these need to be here, and these need to be here. He comes in. He's very polite. He says, hey, we have a new schematic for how we like the humidors laid out. May I move these cigars for you? We say yes, and then he moves them. So it's not like... He's not pushy with it. That so will they pull your account if you don't let them do that? Yeah, it was funny. Actually, before this place was traded ownership, mm. um, the Perdomo rep came in. It was a different rep at that time. And he stormed out, and Mark chased him out in the parking lot. And he said, I'm calling the office right now and canceling this shop's account forever. And Mark said, hold on. I'm about to buy the shop. I like Perdomo. Tell me what I need to do, how we need to make this work. And he, he got it. He caught. But if Mark hadn't been sitting here that day, that we'd have had heck getting them back in here. Really? Just because it was it was moved? Well, not only was it moved, it was trashed. And he, did, he wasn't reordering. Of course, we yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, thing, all the problems that the previous yeah. ownership had of this place had made that. Now, I understand Perdomo wanting to take care of their business. Mm-hmm. I can even respect it. But I, th- I think that they they could lie, lay off just a little and still be fine. Yeah, I think you're right. But not to beat a dead horse. So, 
Moving on to other unreasonable regulations. Let's th- let's jump ahead to Espinoza just because we're running up close, and I know that next that article is going to take a minute. Okay. Espinosa's newest Las Six Provincias released ZDT arriving at retailers. Okay. So Espinosa's doing this series of cigars based on the six provinces of Cuba. Right. And this is the latest one they're doing. But they're Dominican cigars. <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of a weird... At least, is it not a weird homage? It, yeah. At and least, I can't it, be the first one that thought of this. Right. At least hit it with that undisclosed tobacco so that people at least think you're, you know, putting the, putting the wool over the FDA's eyes or whatever. Now, that's a good question. If you did do this and you called it undisclosed tobacco, and it's tobacco from the Dominican Republic and you chose not to undisclose it, or not to disclose it, are you being disingenuous to your clientele? So... You're the first person that's ever told me about that undisclosed meaning it's got Cuban tobacco in it. So I don't know that I necessarily believe that that's truth. Um, if that's a big enough, because that's, that's one of those things, it's just a rumor, right? So if it's a big enough rumor that, you, I mean, I, I don't know. I am less likely to buy a cigar if they say undisclosed tobacco because I'm a cigar nerd. You I want know. to know. Yeah. I need to know. But anyway, I do like the label on these. I think they're pretty. I like the jar they come in. I like the round humidor. I like that. Right. I like the, you know, everything about these is attractive except for the price. I, I didn't get to that part. And, $18 oh, yeah. per cigar. That's a, that's... That's a little up there for an Espinosa. Well, it's well, it's, so it's eighteen a cigar, but it's thir- three. Yeah, so it's three sixty for the twenty count ceramic jar. So, really, most of that price is in the the jar. So, yeah, if you're just buying the cigar, you're overpaying. Yeah, but, but if, if you're buying the jar and the cigars, you're probably doing all right. Yeah. What do you What do you value the jar at? Uh, eighty bucks. Say eighty bucks for the jar. Yeah. So then that's going to bring it down to two eighty, two eighty for twenty of them, yeah. which is going to bring you down to fourteen bucks a stick, which is about where this cigar is set. Okay, your math checks out. All right, I'll, I'll accept your math on that. Um, but no, I'm interested in this. I, you know, it's some of them are coming into. Uh, what is it? Some of them are coming into uh, regular production, whereas others are going to be sort of limited run, limited production. I think that's an interest. I honest part of me wonders if this is like somewhat R and D. You know, next time our Espinosa rep is in here, I want to ask. I'm going to ask the question. Okay, let's say I order a jar of these cigars, and let's say I put the jar on the shelf for eighty bucks. And I put the cigar on the shelf for 14 bucks, mm-hmm. And I'm selling the jar to be able to sell the cigar cheaper. Is that cool with Espinosa? You know, I'm going to say it probably is. But you never know. So when L- I, two things come to mind. When LFD released the, the 64, uh, it was the something 1964 in the, in the Steins, in the ceramic Steins. Right. 
they made it very clear you can only sell them as a box or as a set. You can't, can't sell the individual them. cigars yeah. and then the Stein. Meanwhile, uh, of all people, you would think to t- go that route. When Perdomo announced the 40, 80th, you know, it came in that beautiful humidor. They had no problem. Now, granted, you were selling them for 100 bucks a stick. Right. But uh, what a lot of shops did was you would buy the cigar at 100 bucks. You mean Padrone. Or Padrone. What yeah. did I, I said Perdomo. You said Perdomo. Yeah, I'm sorry. Padrone. Um, the, they would, they would announce, or, sorry, that, that got me all tongue tied. So you could sell the, the cigars as individuals. And so what a lot of shops did is you buy the cigar at a hundred bucks, you get a raffle ticket. And when the box is empty, whoever, you know, whoever wins the raffle gets the humidor. I think you could do something like that with this too. Probably do something like that. Probably do something. I do something creative that mm-hmm. way because it it works either way. It'll sell them either way. You know, it's funny. Um, we've had the Freud the disruptor in here for a couple of months, right? And it's now finally caught on momentum. We're down to four. Four is all we've got left oh, that wow. we'll ever have of the disruptors, and it's a forty-two dollar cigar. But we sold two boxes of them in the last two weeks. It's like they we got them right after the show in July. They got here in August. They set, they set, they set, and then the last two weeks, boom. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder what that is. Uh, my wife started started pushing them. Oh uh, well, that'll do it. <laughs> if any cigar company out there would like to sell your cigar in this shop, you don't need to talk to Mark. You don't need to talk to me. You need to come sit down next to my wife. Yeah, that that'll get them so. When well, she talks to more people in the shop. Than oh, yeah. Else. And when she says a cigar is good, guys just go at it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty amazing. It's actually, she's one of the most amazing salesmen of those of anybody I've ever known. Because funny. she sold two boxes of $40 cigars so far. <laughs> hey, that's something. Yeah. So, anyway, let's step away for a break. All right. We'll be back with more after this. Cigar Cast. This is one of your hosts, Shane, sitting across from the man whose autocorrect caused him to say duck off to somebody on Facebook and they threw him off for foul language, Mr. Trey Dedman. I like that. <laughs> I always love a good pun. There, there's nothing like a good pun. Good puns are it, just... It's also appropriate because that sounds like something that would happen to me. <laughs> Although you'll be proud of me. I've been a lot better lately. I have. I have... Noticed uh, within the last about six months or so, I've just been so grumpy, and I'm I'm trying to work really, really, really hard to overcome that. And uh, so far, it's not working. But one of the things that I have been doing is spending a lot less time on social media, or you know, because I used to like I like staying up on current events. Um, I feel like you have a duty to understand what's going on in the world around you. Now, there's there's a limit to that, right? Like there's a there's a point at which it becomes kind of feeding uh, the worst parts of you. So I've I've cleaned off my feed, so I'm not getting nearly as much of that doomsday stuff. Um, so I pretty much only spend time now on Reddit, in the in the call center subreddit and the Mash subreddit. I think and it's better for me. 
I think as society and time moves forward and the availability information, what we consume is going to be such a huge part of who we are that we're going to have to guard that. You're going to have to guard yourself. Again, you can't just consume everything because there's so much crap out there. You know, um, so The Rock was on Joe Rogan last week. Okay. And I listened to all three hours, and he is, The Rock, the most positive, upbeat. He did not say a bad... You talk to anybody on the biggest podcast in the world for three hours, you would think that you would eventually slip out and say something bad about somebody. Yeah. He's actually one of the people... He's one of the few celebrities that I follow on social media. And it's for that exact reason. It is nothing but love for his family, um, just blatant positivity about everything in life. And, um, I mean, the guy's, the guy's living it. And I'm telling you, if he ran for president, Democrat, Republican, Independent, whatever, I'd vote for him. Mm-hmm. 100%. And all because he's won... He's all he's everything he's ever done. He's done the hard way. He got over the hard way in wrestling. He's worked hard. He's always worked smart in wrestling. You never seen The Rock step into a ring with barbed wire, baseball bats set on fire, flaming tables, right. Lego matches. You never seen The Rock do any of that. But he always just came out and did a wonderful match. Yeah, gave everybody exactly what they wanted. And walked and left. He came out and did his job well and left. He didn't have to do none of the gimmicky crap. Right. And always took care of his opponent. Never, there is not a single story out there where they say, oh, The Rock hurt me. Right. And even Owen Hart, who was one of the greatest wrestlers of all times, broke Steve Austin's neck accidentally. Oh, is that how that happened? Yeah, that's actually what ended Steve Austin's career was Owen Hart hit him with a pile driver wrong. Oh, I didn't Um, realize that. But... He's just always, always that guy. And I wish I could be that guy. I would like, you know, and I try to be a very positive person. It's hard. It, it's, it's really, really hard. And I can, I can do it for a period of time. Um, but to be, it, it, there's got to be something about doing it, having that be your natural persona that's just otherworldly. I, it's, it, it's just, it's, it's fun to, to, to even if I'm not like around him, but it's fun to surround yourself with the kind of people that are uplifting others and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, he was, you know, he came in, they had just had a workout with Joe Rogan and his friends. So The Rock actually, as busy as he is, knowing he's about to do a three hour podcast with Rogan, comes and does a full workout with Joe Rogan and his buddies. He said one of his buddies just kept stopping saying, we're rocking. We're working out with the rock. Uh, how cool would that <laughs> yeah. be? Can you believe it? And uh, so, just that. I'm just telling you, if he vote, if he runs for president, and I really would love to see him run for president as an independent, as a third party, and just obliterate the other two parties. I mean, I think it would take someone with that level of charisma to. It would. He could. He would ch- even. He would change the United States, the two-party system. He has the ability to take the two-party system He might down. be the only one, I think you're I, right. Absolutely, the only, only one. You know, we were having that discussion in here one day of um, if aliens land, if you could send one person to represent humanity to the aliens, 
who would you send? I'd send The Rock. And I'd say he's our littlest guy. Oh, right. <laughs> I mean, I just kind of like to establish. I don't know. Do, do we have the Do we have the idea that these are friendly aliens, or or are we just taking it? We're ju- we just get an email from the Galactic Council. Hey, we're considering y'all for membership for all the benefits and all the boon that will come with this technology, but also all of the potential enemies this could make. Um, we're giving you the opportunity to send one person. We'll send down the transporter beam, send one person to come represent humanity to the Alien Council. That'd, that'd, be, a pretty, that'd be a pretty good vote. I don't know. I mean, can you think of anybody else you'd send? Well, for... I mean, that's why I asked, like, do we know if they're friendly? Do we know what their intentions are? Cause we do not. I, I think... Because I think Bill Murray would also be a fun one, just for the comedy of it. Because he's so eccentric, but he's also... He also has that, like... You know, the whole idea that if you he doesn't have an agent, he has a, a, a toll-free number or a payphone number that he, or he used to at least. Um, that kind of, I like, but everybody who's met him has had nothing but good things to say about it. Yeah, but he's old and frail. We don't want to represent old and frail. Well. Uh, we, we want to represent virile no, I, I, and I, I get that. I get that. Yeah, I don't, I don't think. And you know what's funny? His wife divorced him. I'd love to know why. Would that not be the great... How's she not sold a book deal? Oh, I... Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the, surely that had to be in the divorce agreement. She has to you get a phone do- call every day. Oh, yeah. At least. Yeah, it's... Uh, hey, what's your... You know... Because that's the thing. Non-disclosure agreements say, Oh, well, if you disclose, we'll sue you for $2 million. Who wouldn't pay $2 million for that story? Right. <laughs> Yeah, we'll pay you. We'll pay off whatever they get from the lawsuit, and we'll pay you know. And and money money on top. But anyway, okay, coming back to life, Rocky Mountain Outlook, RockyMountainOutlook.com, Banff, home-based Banff, B-A-N-F-F, cigar business snuffed out. So here's the gist of this article. There's a town called Banff in Colorado. And um, it's near Sulphur Mountain. And this company, these couple, they went out of business in their cigar shop. And they said, hey, cool, we'll run a cigar concierge service where people can call and say, hey, I need a box of Africa's run over to the house. And we'll grab a box of Africa's, throw it on a bicycle and run over to the house. And the city council said, nope, can't do that. Yeah, so the, the crux, so I have so many thoughts on this. But what it really comes down to is this business model doesn't fit into a box. And the idiots on the municipal planning committee, rather than recognize, okay, like this doesn't fit into any of our boxes. Let's carve out, like, let's do our due diligence. They're so busy trying to shoehorn it into one of their boxes so they can say no. So... There are a couple of different uh, residential zoning abilities. And and where this house is located, they do have the ability to do home-based business, but it has to fit into a specific category or whatnot. And, you know, retail's not allowed. So you can't run a hair salon out of your garage. You can't, you know, um, know, massage or, or anything like that. 
it, it's basically meant to allow you to do, like, I guess, drop shipping business or something like that. Right. Um, An eBay store. Yeah. Which, even that, I think, is, is where it's so weird because this really... If you think about it, it's most closely related to an eBay store. Oh, exactly. And it's not, and they, they don't have a commercial vehicle sitting there in the driveway. All right. It doesn't say, you know, Cigar World on a big, in big broad letters on a van in their driveway. There's no retail. No one's coming to the house. Nobody's coming to the house. UPS is not dropping off, you know, Mountains truckloads of, of, of inventory. Well, see, that's the only thing that I think might be, uh, although it doesn't mention, you know, in the, in the article they talk, a lot about quibbling over whether it's a retail business because technically it is a retail business because it's retail sales. But um, uh, to me, a key component of retail is, is a storefront, uh, someone coming physically to the location. They do mention that they warehouse the inventory on site. And I think, I think that's part of it. Yeah, well, this is this is classic government overreach. Yeah, is all this is. Um, this is called a spade a spade. Now, I'm in favor of you know we've had this argument of common sense land use. Okay, you're in a subdivision. No, you can't run a four chair salon in your garage. And I don't even want you running a one chair salon in your garage. I. See, I disagree with okay. that. Okay. Is your driveway big enough to put everybody that's going to be there, or are you going to park them in the street in my way? Well, I think, I think there can be considerations. Well, so let's talk about subdivision then. Um, in the case of a subdivision, especially in Colorado, you got an HOA. Let them figure it out. I don't think, this, I don't think the government... Let, let the neighbors decide what's best for their neighborhood rather than getting the city council involved, first and foremost. Yeah, I mean, and I think this is all tied to the tobacco license. Has I, to be what this is actually all tied. I, I up think to. so too. I, so, I think there's a big component of because this is tobacco, it's scary. I think that's part of it. And the and, but in a state with legalized recreational weed, they're complaining about a cigar concierge service. Well, Talk about speaking out of both ends of your mouth. Well, I've said that about Colorado for a long time. They are one of the most tobacco-unfriendly states in the country, and, and yet we're a pioneer in the legalization of marijuana. I, it doesn't make sense. Now, granted, most of the marijuana sales in legal states are gummies and edibles and things like that. So, But going back to New York, every three blocks, you'd walk and just get hit with a whiff of it. It was everywhere. Yeah, I mean... But I wonder how much of that probably still happened before legalization anyway. Probably a considerable portion of it. It's going to be interesting to see how this whole legalized weed shakes down once pot's no longer a folk hero. Right. You know, the pot industry's done a good job of turning pot into a folk hero. Once the shine wears off of that particular apple... I'll be interested to see how that happens. Yeah, it's well, it's going to be interesting because it's it's really going to amount to what happens on the federal level. Cuz right now you can't even advertise a weed business. Uh you know, because it's it's you know, it's it's bound by federal restrictions because it's technically illegal at the federal level. So it will be really interesting for me to see you know, cuz it's here to stay. Like weed's definitely not going anywhere. And I think it'll be probably another 10, 15 years before even Tennessee gets on board. Yeah, I mean, 
I've, I have no desire to be around it. I have no desire to do it. But I also have no desire to tell somebody, hey, you can't do it responsibly. Right. If you keep your kids out of it so that you don't damage their brains during the developmental process with your pot habit. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing as, it's the same thing as alcohol. Uh, no, pot damages the brain and wires it for addiction. It's been proven in study after study after study that youth pot use will wire a child for addiction. Alcohol is not. Alcohol has been shown to do the exact same thing. Not near to the degree and it has a use. it has a higher pr- um, probability of creating a chemical addiction as opposed to just a behavioral one. So pot doesn't isn't in and of itself addictive. What is addictive about pot are the reward centers in the brain that are connected. It's the same. It's the same thing with cigars, really. We don't get addicted to the nicotine in the cigars. We get addicted to the behaviors, the, the, the camaraderie, the things. That's why people have a hard time quitting smoking cigars, because you lose your, your central... Right, your social circle. Your social circle. You know, and it is one of the things Dr. Drew always says. He says, no, everybody I've ever seen smoke pot does not go to heroin. But I've never seen a heroin addict that didn't start with pot. See, I, I mean, far be it for me to contradict Dr. Drew, who has spent a lifetime and a career studying specifically this. However, I do think there are other factors at play, including socioeconomic status, and more importantly, who, for the longest time, you have to go to to get the pot. I think that's the, the, the biggest reason I'm in favor of legalization is because it takes the power away from the cartels, the drug dealers, the, you know. Yeah. Because if you don't have to go buy your pot from, like, if you had to buy wine from a heroin dealer, you'd probably move on pretty quick, too. Right. And that makes sense. Okay. On to something, something happier or heading toward happier. Uh, this is from the tab, the Bristol tab. A Bristol student's guide to cigar etiquette and who you should share a smoke with. Okay, we're just going to... I'm not going to touch this article very much because basically they say that cigar etiquette and then they just talk about handing people cigarettes. So I should point out that Bristol in this case refers to Bristol in England. Just, okay. Just for... I mean, because the... I, I only call attention to that because the culture is different, right? Society kind of operates differently than it does here. So some of what we've read may not necessarily apply one-to-one. Um, one of the things I do like about this, it was talking about who you should sm- share a smoke with. And the first one on the list is the homeless. I've done this with a cigar. Um, and it's great. Uh, it's... It's just, I, I'm a big fan of of getting out of your comfort zone, you know, in some ways. And and I think it's a great way in a, you know, because most homeless people are harmless. And it, it's, a, it's a really good way to diffuse a situation, especially if you're smoking one. I, I've even had about this much left on a cigar and, you know, asked to bum one. And I was like, I don't have one, but you can finish this for me and they'll take it. I don't necessarily agree with that behavior. No. But, um, you know, it's a, it's a luxury for us just like it's a luxury for anybody. 
Well, so this comes back to, you know, when this comes out, you will, we will have all just finished Thanksgiving. And my Thanksgiving, I invite family, but I've got a limited amount of family around here this time of year. And they've all, you know, my brother and sister, they've got their families with their kids and all that stuff, and they're doing their thing. So at my house at Thanksgiving, I invite friends. You know, I've got two guys I've invited this week that don't have family. Right. And they're going to come to my house for Thanksgiving. Her sister's going to come. Brother-in-law's going to come. It's just a family thing. And after the after dinner, we'll all go, go out. The ladies will probably go for a walk, and the guys will probably sit on the back, and I'll offer cigars. Right. At all. And that, to me, is a perfect scenario. And if somebody don't want one, cool, sit out on the back porch with us. We're going to sit here and smoke a cigar and talk anyway. Mm-hmm. And all, but who, how do you judge who to share a cigar with? And sharing a cigar, are you, there's two ways of sharing a cigar. So we have to make a distinction here. There is, oh yeah, here's a cigar, take it home with you, enjoy it later. Or, or hey, like you said, a homeless guy comes up and says, hey, you got to smoke. And you say, well, yes, I actually happen to have a, you know, Pearl Damar in my pocket. Here you go, knock yourself out. And I'll, and then there is, okay, let's sit down and share a cigar together. Yeah, I feel like most of the time it's the, the latter of that, right? It's, it's let's have a cigar. It's sharing a cigar, sharing experience more than it is sharing the actual cigar. And, and I th- you know, we've talked about, I talked about with the guys on Thursday night, and, and, and we've talked about it on the show many times, it's a unit of time. It's an experience. It's a community. And you, you know, it's funny. I actually had to turn down a cigar on Thursday night because it was about 11 o'clock. And we were talking. They're, they're both big A.J. Fernandez fans. I was smoking the H. Upman A.J. And apparently there's an A.J. Pink that I've not had. Right. And, and I was talking like, man, I, I'll, have to, I'll have to keep an eye out for that because I love all things A.J. And he's, he even said... If you have time for another one, if she'll let you, you can have one tonight. And unfortunately, I had to decline. Um, but I, I really appreciated the way that he approached that, which was understanding the etiquette is that if you give someone a cigar, they're, they're obligated to smoke it right then. Right. Uh, yeah, if you just start handing cigars, good cigar etiquette is somebody hands you a cigar, they're asking you to sit and smoke with them. And if time constraints being one, now there's been times that guys have handed me one. I said, "Hey, I'm just finishing this one, and I've got to run. Or you, you know, I, I can enjoy this later, but I can't enjoy this with you right at this moment. Would you like it back?" Yeah. And I, and I think that's perfectly okay. I and think yeah, a hundred percent of the time they say, "No, take it with you, smoke it later." That's what I want you to try anyway. Yeah, and it's it's also different. You know, we spend a lot more time in cigar shops than most people, so you know that. The reciprocity there happens more often um, on, on the long game. Like, you can count on it. And it's funny. One of my friends that I play cards with on Thursday night, he gets so uncomfortable when I offer him a cigar. He smokes cigars. Yeah. And he always brings his cigars. But I'll always say, hey, let me get you something out of the humidor, something different, something new, something different. And it's just, his stress level goes through the roof. Because well, he doesn't know... There's an art to being able to accept a gift. Well, there is. There's also, you know, I, I don't know what he smokes, but there could also be that, 
thinking through, I'm going to have to buy you one in the future. Now, most cigar relationships aren't transactional like that. If I'm giving you a cigar, it's because I want to give you a cigar, not because I'm expecting you to give me one later. Um, but for a lot of people, that's hard to navigate, Of especially if you're on a budget or anything like that. It's It can be a little tough to accept something if you feel like, if you're going to feel burdened. It's the same way you and I both. When we owe somebody money, we pay it back immediately. We're hunting them down. Yeah, hunting them down. And uh, John C. McGinley says... Fast money makes fast friends. Mm-hmm. You know, it, you just you, you take care of your debts right then. So for somebody who ha- who struggles with that that idea of owing somebody something, I can see why it's hard to accept a cigar. Well, th- this guy's got more money than I'll ever have. Oh, <laughs> and and I know his palate very well. I know if I'm going to hand him something out of my humidor, I'm handing it to him because I know he's going to like this. Yeah, and all. But he's just he's just one of those guys that is really uncomfortable. Accepting gifts, it's just it's a it's a really uncomfortable thing for him. It's an interesting, interesting human piece of human psychology that that does that. You know, I've got a there's a buddy here at the shop. If I come here and I bring out the Traeger or the um, Blackstone, and I'm out there cooking burgers or I'm out there cooking eggs or whatever I'm making that day for Saturday football, he goes in the humidor and picks me up a cigar, brings it out to me, and hands it to me. Says here, have the you know, and and I really I appreciate that deeply. It's a great great yeah. move. Yeah, and I have no trouble accepting that gift. Right, and I'll, and there's all the time guys will come up and I'll have laid out a spread of food here on a Saturday. And they'll say, hey man, I didn't I didn't bring anything. Is there? Can I give you some money? So I say, hey, go buy a cigar, and you know, just don't worry about it. This I'm doing this because I enjoy cooking for my friends. I'm not right. doing this for for anything other than that. And inevitably, they'll go and they'll ask Linda, hey, what's Shane's favorite cigar? And they'll bring me in Africa. Right. So it, it kind of works out. Yeah. So uh, we're running close to the end. Let's let's jump into our Thanksgiving topic real quick since that is... Now, granted, this episode will drop after Thanksgiving. But... Um, okay, so full turkey dinner, all the trimmings... Now, are you a, are you a dessert as soon as the meal's over, or are you a dessert waiter? Yeah. So this is yet another area where you and I disagree. I am I am a dessert right after the meal. See, I'm a dessert waiter. So the the thing for me is I eat incredibly fast, and part of the reason that I eat incredibly fast is because look at me. I weigh as much as a ham sandwich. I can eat more. So especially when I'm training, right? I can eat more faster and and then still and not get overly stuffed. And so it allows... So for me, once my food has started to settle, I'm not going to be hungry again for about two hours. And then it's going to be too far from the meal to want that much sugar. I don't, like I'm very picky when it comes to sugar. I... I, I I don't like eating sugar on an empty stomach. So, in fact, there have been times last couple of weeks where we don't have anything dessert-wise at home. And then by the time we get the kid put to bed and decide maybe we'll go out and, like, grab some ice cream sandwiches from the grocery store or whatever, by the time I get back, I don't want it. Right. See, I'm now, I'm not a big dessert person anyway. I I would much rather have the meal and the fixings, you know, 
eat a big steak and a salad and maybe a baked potato or maybe something, a vegetable of some sort. And I'm good. I don't need any sugar. Matter of fact, I'd rather not have it after I have a big meal like that. Now, on an occasion where you've got special desserts, yeah, you know, I'm making homemade cheesecake for Thanksgiving this oh, year. Nice. And, but I'm going to have my Thanksgiving dinner. And then I'll probably go sit outside and have a cigar with the guys and all that stuff. And then as we're wrapping up, you know, for me, dessert's kind of a, okay, here's, this means we're wrapping it up. This means, you know, this is my subtle clue that the evening is coming to an end. Right. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm kind of that kind of a dessert guy. Now, and I get that, you know, we'll be spending Thanksgiving in Georgia with my in-laws and... They're they're waiters, and um, so that that the last few years of us doing that has been kind of tricky uh, navigating that because you you don't slice the pie at somebody else's house, right? Absolutely. And so I, I kind of have to be a bit of a waiter at that point. But when if if you're eating at my house, I'm going to clear the plates, and then the cake or the pie is coming out. It's coming out. Your dessert. Yeah. Your dessert. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I can I can and if I'm at your house. And we're done with the meal, and you slice the pie. I'm having a piece, mm-hmm. and all that's absolute. I, it's not a hard and fast rule for me, but given my dreathers, I'd rather have a little bit of time between my meal and my dessert. I I get like I can I can appreciate and understand the the desire to wait, but I never get myself so stuffed anyway. That's a true Southern term, dreathers. Yeah. Given my dreathers. D r u t h e r s for those for those out there keeping the southern lexicography. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I it's and even even still, it's not a word that gets used very often anyway. It's kind of a kind of a word from a bygone era, I think. Yeah, it is. It's kind of it's kind of like poke. If somebody asks you, tells you, you know, my grandfather say, "Hey, go get me a poke." He wanted me to go get him a sack. He always he always called a sack a poke. And all, and it took me a while to realize that sack that poke meant sack. I don't think I've ever heard that. Yeah, he would. Oh yeah, we go be going fishing. Hey, go get me a poke. Put the catfish food in. And I go, Mama, he wants a poke. She said, okay. She'd reach and grab us. Oh, a sack. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and all, just a a different different lexicography. Yeah. So, but um, coming back to Thanksgiving, what is? The after-dinner cigar. What should be your choice? What would you... An unlimited humidor in front of you. What are you going to smoke after the Thanksgiving dinner? Uh, I, after, after Thanksgiving, I want... Probably an AJ. Something with... Or, or a My Father. Something with a lot of spice, a lot of pepper. See, I'm opposite that. I figured you would. I want something light... Because um, I'm already full. I'm already heavy full. I don't want a real heavy cigar. I want a nice light, a Connecticut in all likelihood. Well, and I don't want a heavy cigar. Um, I want a flavorful cigar. Because, you know, just how smoking a bunch of cigars will, will burn out your palate. A big meal like that will burn out your palate. And it's why I don't want an ADN. Because it's got that savory mouthfeel from the Andouille tobacco. That it's it's too similar to the kind of what my palate has already been dealing with. So I want something that's far removed from the savory, 
heavy kind of meal. I want something that's really a stark contrast to that. So what's in your mo- in your moochador at Thanksgiving? Moochador, for those that are new listeners. Moochador is the term for these cigars that you will give away to people so that may not be regular cigar smokers. I, I'm the only cigar smoker. So I don't have to worry about that. Um, in, in fact... Uh, I don't smoke at all when I'm in Georgia around my in-laws because asthma and some other things and, and just out of, out of courtesy, uh, I just I abstain while I'm down there. So I will, be, I will be itching for when we come back to record on Sunday. I will argue, being as we're both smoking Perdomo, the Perdomo Champagne is the ultimate Muchador cigar. It's good. It's good. The... Um, Oh, there was another one that was just on the tip of my tongue, and then I lost it. But yeah, you can't go wrong with a champagne. Uh, you can't go wrong with the last call. Last call's good. Um, the uh, Charter Oak Connecticut's another good one. Charter Oak Connecticut's another good one. The Monty White. Because mm-hmm. if they're not a regular cigar smoker, you don't want to give them something that's going to knock them down. Right, but that's also price point getting out of Muchador territory. Mm, yeah, sometimes. Yeah, depending on where you get it. I hadn't bought a Monty White in a long time. It may be out of Muchador. Muchador is $10 or less. Well, these days I'd say 12 or less. Yeah, probably in, in the current current cigar market, probably yeah. $12 or less. But ideally 10 or less, yeah. And a Toro. And if you're, But here's the deal. Don't hand your guest a cigar smaller in stature in Vitola than what you're smoking. Yeah, unless they specific, unless it's a situation where, hey, I'm not really sure, whatever. Okay, fine. I'm not going to give you a you know a Churchill if if you're only going to take two puffs off of it anyway. Yeah, I t- I tend to generally what I do after Thanksgiving, which of course the guys I got coming over are guys from the shop, so they're cigar smokers. Yeah. I'll generally just grab a box that I've got in my humidor and just set it out there and let us all take one out of the box. That's always a good move, too, because then it's equal footing for everybody. Yeah, but I, I do think there is a, a social etiquette to don't you fire up the the Gordo 660 or the Churchill 7x54 and then hand them a three-and-a-half, you know, nub. Well, and also don't fire up a Padron if you're going to hand out a... You know, something from the Muchador, you know, a last call or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, which Padrones are special occasion smokes. Right. You know, we're going back to the mountains in December. I'll have some Padrones to smoke while I'm in the mountains. Matter of fact, Glenda's already bought them for us. I'll have a couple of Padrones there that I can smoke when I'm there sitting on the porch looking out at the mountains, enjoying myself. That's when you smoke a Padron. After a heavy meal, I don't want a Padron. No. But I mean, you know, the, the Thanksgiving, Christmas, those are those are special occasion occasions for a lot of people. They are. And I guess that that's that's the the part of me that likes to just when I'm there's certain cigars, I, you know, in the morning when I get up and I say, OK, today's a day I'm going to have a morning cigar and I'm going to sit on my back porch, just me in the lab and have a cigar. That's time that I don't want anything to interrupt. Right. And I can really enjoy that cigar. All right, one more article before we call it a night. Cuba overthrown as cigar capital of the world by this country. Here's how. So the gist of this article is from Wyon, W-I-O-N, wyonnews.com. 
is that the Dominican Republic has finally taken over in revenue from Cuba as the cigar capital of the world. My complaint about this article, one, they don't even mention Nicaragua. And I got to think, I always thought Nicaragua was ahead of the Dominican, but I will say in the last couple of years, Dominican has really made a push, and rightfully so, has... I'm, I wouldn't be scared to say Dominican does sell more cigars in Nicaragua. Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, Fuente, for starters. Um, and uh, Davidoff. And everyone under both of those umbrellas. That's your... I mean, that's where it's mostly coming from. And this is speaking about the international market. This is not just limited to the United States market. Right. So this is speaking to the international market where... If you're in, you know, England and you can smoke anything, you don't have the the embargo to think about. Um, the Dominican has finally overtaken the Cuban. That that was that was the one thing in this article that really surprised me was the idea that that people with the with the option uh, are are starting to to take Dominican more often than Cuban. Yeah, and I think when the embargo is finally lifted. I'm not excited about Cuban cigars. I'm excited about Cuban blends. Mm-hmm. I'm excited about Cuban tobacco and Dominican tobacco put together or a Cuban binder with a, you know, Nicaraguan yeah. wrapper or something like that. That that excites me. Right. The pure Cuban, the Cuban puro does not excite me at all. Yeah, I would have to say I'm the same way. So, what do you think about the 30th? Give me your give me your rating. Rate the 30th for me. I'm going to give it a 6. I do think it is very, very good. And I'm giving it a six mostly because I know that I've given the 20th a six. And they're the same cigar. If I lay all of my complaints about Perdomo's sales abilities aside and just judging the cigar, I've got to give it a six. Yeah, it it is phenomenal. At 14, it's a, it's, I mean, it feels like a bit of a stretch, even though it's not in today's humidor. But um, no, I think I think they hit it right out of the park. That sun-grown wrapper has just got a ton of spice on it. I think they've done that remarkably well. Um, I may have to have a twentieth or a twelfth uh, pretty soon to to give it a fair comparison. To give it a gauge, close, close together, yeah. Yeah, because you don't smoke a lot of Perdomo. No, about maybe once every other month. If I smoke a Perdomo, it's because of the size. It's because their Churchill size is the best. Right. And they're one of the few companies that reliably makes a Churchill, and it's and it's on the shelves. And makes a good Churchill. Yeah. Yeah. So how do they get hold of us, Trey? You can reach us at Facebook.com slash The Cigar Cast. We're on Instagram and Twitter at The Cigar Cast. And email info at thecigarcast.com. Thank you, everybody, for listening this week. Until next week, have a great cigar and think well of us. Yeah.